Well, there are races that are thrilling and there are races that are just plain boring. And then there are races that are just popular. And the Italian Grand Prix was just that. A win by Daniel Ricciardo, who wins for the first time since 2018, giving McLaren their first victory on the podium since 2012. This is the Italian Grand Prix review, the Overtake F1 podcast. We will get to the race more drama between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Sprint qualifying from Saturday, plus we'll go over all 10 teams as they leave Monza, heading into a weekend off before Sochi at the end of the month. Subscribe to the channel if you like what we do. Leave us a five-star review. That's how we grow. We also have a Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can like us there. You can also participate in the conversation with what goes on in Grand Prix, the news and notes in Formula One. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you need to reach the show or like to reach the show, you can email us at the Overtake F1 Podcast podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at Tony D radio. All right. All that aside, this win, it was incredibly popular. At least it felt that way. Daniel Ricardo is just a likable driver and his popularity with new formula one fans. It, it comes from the Netflix series. I get it, but he's also a guy that has been pursuit of something since deciding to leave Red Bull at the end of the 2018 season. He could season and it looked like he wasn't going to be able to find it immediately with McLaren. This is a season that while it had some really good moments, but it was up and down. And of course, nothing like we saw this past weekend at Monza. He didn't want to be the second driver on a team that had Max Verstappen. And that's understandable. He also felt that Renault was not capable of giving him a shot at a world championship. Now, this is a guy that prior to this race had won seven Grand Prix. You win seven Grand Prix, you do have a thought that maybe if you put things together in the right way, one, you're capable of winning. Two, if with the right team and the right circumstances, you're capable of winning more often than you are, then you have a chance at winning a world championship. All these drivers want to win world championships. They just, some of them are on current teams that can't provide that. But eventually they hope that they're in a ride that can win a world championship. And that's where Ricardo was leaning. That's why when he saw what was going on at Red Bull, he knew Max was going to be the number one driver. He saw that and said, I got to go somewhere else. And at Renault, it, it didn't feel like that was working. McLaren seemed to be a better option. This season, he struggled with the car, and now he gets a win! He gets a win. He has spent the entire season watching teammate Lando Norris get all of the attention because Lando was running up front, was scoring in the points, was getting a few podiums, and he was the most consistent driver before the hungry race in early August, and that had to have been weighing on him. He takes a break, he comes back, he qualifies really good at Spa, and now he is a race winner for Formula One in 2021. Now, he said after the race that going winless for three and a half years does not define his happiness. Otherwise, he'd be miserable. But he also reiterated that he never went away. He had just stepped aside for a moment. I actually thought that was a pretty good line. And that is true. I mean, you talk to tennis players, golfers, and I know Formula One is not an individual sport. You do race for a team and you do have a teammate. But in the end, there there is an individuality to that sport. And if you are miserable because you don't win every single weekend, that, that you have got to mentally get around that. Otherwise, you will be... You're just to just live a, a miserable life. You have to find happiness in other avenues. So I was glad he pointed that out, but I also am glad that he said, look, I didn't really go away. I had, I just stepped aside. And that's why this race win seems very popular and, a, and sort of a feel-good moment for the Formula One season. All right, let's get started. Max Verstappen started from pole position. He finished second in the sprint qualifying race on Saturday behind Valtteri Bottas, who won sprint qualifying, but knew ahead of the race that he would be in the back of the grid with a power unit change. Ricardo was 
was on the front row, and he took the lead right off the bat in lap number one. He got off to a great start, held the inside line into the first chicane, and took the lead into La Curva Grande. Lewis Hamilton moved up to third and was right behind Verstappen. Now, they would touch a bit in the second chicane that would send Hamilton off on the rumble strip. He dropped behind Lando Norris in fourth. Ricardo did a really good job of holding off Verstappen, but it wasn't a huge surprise. This is not a track that is really Red Bull's domain. I liked Norris holding off Hamilton. That was actually pretty good. Um, but he was, because Hamilton was trying to keep up with Verstappen, and Norris did a fantastic job until he was eventually passed. But I mean, because you're not holding off Hamilton forever. Uh, one other note from the start of the race, most of the drivers started on the medium tires, except for Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Both were trying to run the race where they could get most of the tires on the hard compound before changing into mediums for the final run. Now, Sergio Perez was moving up the field, and it early thought was that he could be a factor in helping Max in his battle with Verstappen when it was time for pit stops. Now, in a few races this season, as you probably well know, Perez has not really been available at times to help Max in these strategic elements in his title fight. So often Verstappen has to fight off both the Mercedes drivers by himself. So Daniel Ricciardo comes into the pits at lap 23. Good stop. He comes out seventh. Max comes in. He boxes a lap later, but this ended up being disastrous. An 11-second pit stop. Very rare for this Red Bull team. And he came out 10th behind Botas, Stroll, and Fernando Alonso. That gave Hamilton the lead of the race, but he had yet to pit, but he's on the hard tires. Now, Hamilton comes in on lap 26 and has a 4.2-second pit stop. That's slow, but it's not as disastrous as Max's pit stop. Verstappen is coming off Parabolica into the straight. He's at high speed. Verstappen tries to get ahead of Hamilton. Hamilton, coming off the pit road, is trying to do the same thing. They go into that first chicane and they tangle up. Both went into the gravel. The Red Bull was on top of the Mercedes and thank God for the halo. Verstappen walks off towards the pits and we'll get to more on this later because this is obviously a big deal, but let's finish up with the review of the race. So with the two championship contenders now out, Daniel Ricciardo only had the Ferraris, Sergio Perez, a hard-charging Valtteri Bottas to beat to win the race. Now, he had Lando Norris behind him, and you can make the case that he had to fight off him until Norris realized, I'm not going to be fighting off Daniel Ricciardo. I'm not going to make a move to pass this guy, and we both end up tangling, and we're both out of this race. We're running 1-2 for crying out loud. Charles Leclerc was running second at the restart after the Verstappen-Hamilton crash, but Norris was really trying to take that spot, and he took it at La Curva Grande. So the McLarens are now 1-2. Botas, he passes Carlos Sainz in the fifth. Now, remember, Botas starts at the back of the field. He is just flying through this thing. Now, at this point, the race is kind of fun. There's some movement up and down, but it was the McLarens that were up front in this race. Sergio Perez gets a five-second penalty that it Sergio Perez got a five-second penalty, and he needed to be ahead of Botas to hold on to third at the end of the race. But Botas was really flying, as I mentioned earlier. So over the final laps, it was clear Ricardo was going to win this thing, barring some sort of mechanical issue or a mix-up where he went off the track. And it, this was really going to be emotional for his fans around the world. He has now eight Grand Prix wins, but first since he left Red Bull. It was also a while for McLaren to be on the podium, 2012. Now they have drivers going 1-2. Botas finishes third after Perez was assessed the added time. Now, as for the crash, after the race, the FIA stewards hand a three-grid penalty for Max Verstappen for a collision with Hamilton. Now, this will be enforced at Sochi. 
However, it's not likely to matter because it is believed that, at, at least at the time of this recording, we'll probably get official word later down the road, that Verstappen will take a new power unit there and will start from the back of the grid anyway. Now, I wanted this to be a racing incident, but the more I looked at it, I could see why Max was getting the blame here. I, I just don't know how Max thought he was going to regain the lead with Hamilton's position in the chicane. Now, I know Damon Hill accused Max of deliberately running into Hamilton. I, I don't know about that. I think a combination of a red-hot Verstappen after that long pit stop, just his aggressiveness probably got the best of him. And also remember, too, Hamilton is getting up to speed. Verstappen is at full speed breaking into that chicane. Now, I know that Verstappen felt that Hamilton was squeezing him. I, I do agree with that. He Hamilton does move over to the left probably thinking that Max is going to give a little ground. But at the same time, Max is like, I'm going to try to get this position. I, I don't know how two cars were going to make it out of that chicane. He hits the sausage curbs. He goes flying. He's on top of Hamilton. He gets out of his car. He walks away. There's a there's some criticism on Verstappen for, for to not check to see if Hamilton was okay. And Max's defense, and I think this is a pretty good one. I know the, the common courtesy of drivers in accidents is to check on the other guy. But Max's defense was, hey, I got out of the car, and I know my car is on top of his, but he's trying to back out. I mean, he's trying to back out to get back onto the racetrack. So when I see a guy just trying to back out of the gravel, I, I'm going to assume he's fine. So I, I, I sort of think that's a pretty good ex reason for not going over there. Plus, he's, you know, he's hot. He's walking down back to pit lane. And here's the other aspect of it. I don't know how much this plays into my thought about this. Maybe I'm just reading too much into this. Red Bull really didn't go crazy for this one. Remember at Silverstone when they tangled at Cops? You know, they went nuts. I mean, they went crazy. I mean, they were accusing Hamilton of dirty driving and all there was, you know, all these talks to Michael Massey and, you know, public display of this is unfair. This is outrageous. The penalty doesn't fit the incident. All of those things. They were red hot after that incident at Silverstone. And, and you know, the nature of the crash would make you think that that was a reasonable response. I mean, they're going at high speed in the cops. I mean, that was a 51 G crash of Verstappen had into that tire barrier. And while this was, you know, this was into a chicane, Max is breaking down from a 225 mile an hour range. But, you know, Christian Horner and the Red Bull team didn't start screaming about dirty play and making those accusations. You know, instead, it was Total Wolf that said it was a tactical foul, implying that Max made the move to prevent Hamilton from winning the race. So the thought process of that is that Hamilton and Verstappen are going into the chicane. Verstappen realizes he can't make the move, so he becomes more aggressive because in a split second, his brain is telling him the worst that's going to happen is we're both going to crash and you leave with a five second lead, just like you had when we got to Monza in the first place and we did the uh, sprint qualifying race and you earned a couple of points there. That's basically that's the thought process that in that particular moment, Verstappen made a move where the outcome, the worst outcome still benefits him. I, that's a little iffy. I just think he was overly aggressive. And I think that coming off an 11 second pit stop, I think he was frustrated because he was back. He, he fallen way back into the field. Remember, remember Verstappen started from pole position. And although Monza is not a real Red Bull sort of circuit, he did start from pole position. And these were elements that were kind of putting him back into the back end of the, of the top part of the field. And I think that's, that was a little frustration there. So I do agree that Max was at fault here. But, you know, like, a, I think there isn't an overwhelming Max, you know, should be 
penalized heavily for this sort of aspect. I think there's a fine line between blame and racing incident. I'm leaning towards blame, but it's like 60, 40 rather than like 90, 10, as some people are making, making this out to be. But the overall question still is this, how are these two going to be racing in the last part of the season? We're getting closer and closer to the end here. What is this going to look like at other Grand Prix down the stretch? These two guys are going after every time they, every time they have a chance to go wheel to wheel, they're going wheel to wheel. Now, I think that's great for us because I think it adds a level of excitement and energy to watching these two battle for the championship. But from a driver's perspective, this is where I think those who have accused Max of doing this deliberately have a little bit of leg to stand on here. Because think about this for a second, right? If you're racing a guy for points in a championship and you go for a move and it doesn't pay off and you spin out and he continues, you've just damaged your chances. We saw that at Silverstone. Hamilton was able to continue on the British Grand Prix. Max was out. And all of a sudden, a 33-point lead is down to just a handful of points. And in this case, Max knows, as soon as I get out of this chicane, if I don't have the lead, Hamilton's either A, going to win this race, or B, at least finish ahead of me. I'm not catching a Mercedes at Monza. That's not happening. So Max is able to take a more aggressive action because it's very important that he gets out of that chicane into La Curva Grande with the lead. So his thought process is, again, the worst that can happen is we're going to crash and I still have the points. I just don't think that was the thought process, but you can understand why people were making that out. Thinking about this for a second in Austria, remember when Hamilton was behind Verstappen in Austria and Max is just flying around the circuit and Lewis was like eight seconds behind and just sort of conceded, all right, I'm running in second. What's the strategic element there? The strategic element is there's nothing we can do. Let's just get second. Let's just minimize the damage here and let's go on to another Grand Prix where we can figure out how to beat this team. But Max doesn't have that option at Monza. That's not a live to fight another day. He is the leader of the world championship. So he is trying to prevent Hamilton from gaining ground at a track that he's, he's good at, right? The, the Mercedes is good at. There's going to be another one coming up at Sochi. And I think that's one of the reasons Red Bull should, should take the power unit change there. I hope we see some good racing between these guys. I don't necessarily want every single head-to-head -head battle being a crash fest. I think they, both of these drivers can really put on a show without driving each other into the gravel or into the wall or wherever it is they're going to be. But at the same time, you understand that there is a moment for Max Verstappen where here comes Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion. Max is trying to get his first world championship, and there's going to be some aggressiveness. He's an aggressive driver, and he's going to be fighting for positions because he may not have opportunities to do so at certain tracks as we continue along with the second half of the season. But again, to reiterate, I think Max was at fault here. I think the FIU made the right call. I can totally see where people think this was a racing incident. It wasn't as clear cut. I had to kind of watch it like four or five times to really see. And I looked at different analysis of the positioning, but I think in the end it, it was Max's fault that they went into each other at the chicane and ended up um, on top of Lewis Hamilton. And oh, by the way, the halo for all of its criticism, every single time we get one of these things, the halo proves once and once again to have done its job, saved Roman Grosjean's life. It protected George Russell at spa where there was a bouncing tire that hit it and uh, kind of, a, kind of bounced away. You saw this with Hamilton's car kind of being on top of the, the halo instead of being on top of Lewis Hamilton himself. So over, Overall, again, I think this is Max's fault, but we'll see how this goes down the road when they, when they tangle again, because I know they're going to tangle again. All right, Saturday's qualifying race. We had to get to this. Um, I went into Saturday with an open mind. If you've been listening to this podcast, I've, I've not been a big fan of this idea of the sprint qualifying 
Because, first of all, I didn't really see the need for it. For me, I, I didn't think Saturday's qualifying really needed any fixing. I think it's really exciting. I love waking up to watch qualifying. It's an hour long. It's a pretty good show. There's a lot, especially at some of these circuits where it's hard to overtake and qualifying matters a lot. It's a race within itself. But I did understand what Formula One was trying to do. I will concede that. I know that there's a newer audience that's coming in. There are younger fans coming in. They want the full weekend to be more exciting. I get it. I've always gotten that part of it. I'm just maybe a little old school in my thought process and sort of like this way this way of doing qualifying. It does give you a competitive weekend. You, you, you sort of lose the Friday free practice and that's it. That's all, you know, you instead get a quali a traditional qualifying to set up the grid for Saturday's sprint qualifying. So that's, you know, again, I understand the complete competitive weekend, but my overall issue was this. I was afraid that the sprint race wouldn't be all that exciting. Drivers really wouldn't try to go for places and would be cautious because a crash could kill your chances at the Grand Prix. I mean, Silverstone had a mixture of both the first time we did this. Verstappen and Hamilton went at it on the first lap. Max got ahead of the lead because Hamilton started from the pole. And remember, that was that was the incident where Hamilton knew that if Max in the Grand Prix got ahead of him coming out of cops into the into the Maggots, Beckett's and Chapel um, turns, that Max would be impossible to catch. Right. That's where he saw that. And that's one of the reasons he made the move at cops on the first lap. Because he knew that, the, you know, he saw the evidence of that in the sprint race. Fernando Alonso in, in Great Britain, he moved up a few spots in that sprint race. But remember, Sergio Perez spun out, had to start at the back. So Saturday's sprint race, man, that was really boring. I mean, it was like a, a DRS train. I mean, it was nothing. I mean, Potas had tremendous power. But because everybody knew that he was going to take a power unit change and start at the back, I mean, Max had no reason to race him. Max is essentially in, in the lead. Behind Valtteri Botas, there was really no reason to go after anything. But I also think that in a race like Monza, where you you have a you know an opportunity to score some points if you if you start well, there really isn't a reason to go head to head with anybody. And that was my overall problem with this. There isn't an incentive really. It's too dangerous. It's not like a Grand Prix where you got to go get points. So in order, to don't think it's an incentive. This is just positioning. One of the faults with the sprint race is believing a stereotype about these guys that's somewhat true, but is not 100% true. Race car drivers race. That's what they want. That's in their blood. Any opportunity they can to race, they race. But you don't win world championships or be competitive in this sport by doing that all the time, as I mentioned earlier. You have to pick your battles. Would you rather go for a spot, go for a risky move to gain one spin in a pre-qualifying grid or a risk spinning out and starting at the back of the field? where you have zero chance of scoring any points or at least making your work a lot harder for the race, right? There are moments where you go, you know what? We're eighth. This is about as good as we're going to do. There's really no reason to make that dive, right? I'm not going to put the car, right? And it's expensive too. I mean, that's the thing. It's ex You crash a car at a Grand Prix, that's fine. Take a chance. They'll pay the bill. Sprint race? I mean, do teams really want you doing that on a sprint race to gain one position from, let's say, ninth to eighth with that kind of bill? So I do think it needs tweaking, though. I mean, look, I'm not saying we dump it completely. Uh, we're going to Brazil. That might actually be really exciting. And we might actually see something different that really sways me more towards this side. I do think Formula One needs to sort of figure this out, though, because I don't think in two races we've seen the kind of event that we've seen that we thought we were going to get.
And so I think, I think it needs some tweaking. I like the idea though of the competitive weekend. I do like that. I'm a guy that does watch practice on Fridays. I, I you know, I, I catch it in the morning. I do a morning show. So it's right at, usually right afterwards. So I just stay in my uh, studio office and watch it. But at the same time, I understand if you're going to these things, there is a appeal to see traditional qualifying sprint race Grand Prix over the three days. All right, let's go over all of the teams. McLaren, there's really nothing more to add, right? I mean, it was a one-two finish. It was fantastic. Daniel Ricciardo on the front row and Lando Norris behind him. I thought it was kind of cute. Lando saying, is this good for the team if I don't do anything? <laughs> like kind of saying, you don't really want, do you want me to pass? I, I don't think you want me to pass. Do you want me to pass? I'll pass if you want me to pass. I but to see the genuine love that this team has for each other, it was really nice to see. It was Ricardo and Lando Norris really being celebratory on that podium with Zach Brown. This is an iconic team. I thought this was one of the more popular victories that you'll find in the last couple of years. So I was really happy for McLaren. There's really nothing more to add here. One, two, finish. They ruled the day. Mercedes. Uh, it was a strange weekend for the team that was supposed to kind of dominate this track. Hamilton lost three places in the sprint race. He started fifth. It became a P4. Botas started at the back of the field due to the power unit change. Hamilton almost collided with Max early in the race. And then they finally did at the at the end, you know, when he came in out of the pit stop. Botas does does get a podium finish. He moved through the field on those hard tires and then really was trying to fly through it. And he finished fourth, but because of Sergio Perez's five second penalty, he gets a P3. You know, a lot of people pegged him as a driver of the day. If it wasn't for Ricardo, it could have been Valtteri Botas. It was that good of a drive. So it was a mix of good and bad for the weekend. The good news from the crash that it, it did take out both drivers. So there was no real damage in terms of the points. He's still five points back heading into Sochi. Max didn't extend his lead and the halo actually, you know, saved Hamilton's life. So those are some good things, but overall kind of a bizarre weekend filled with a lot of incidents. Red Bull, the crash with Hamilton was a result of a bad pit stop for Verstappen. That was 11 seconds, human error on that part, because that put him in the path of Hamilton coming out of the pit lane after a slow stop for him. But that was only four seconds. Sergio Perez did finish third, but because of the aforementioned five second penalty that regulated him down to fifth. Max, however, still leads the championship by five points. Max was given a three place grid penalty for Sochi. This may be pointless because the team might take a power unit change there. It would put him back at the end of the field anyway. That's a strong Mercedes track. They've won all the races at Sochi. If I'm Red Bull, that's exactly what I'll do. What I'll do. That's what everybody expects them to do. Ferrari. There was an opening for the Scuderia. Hamilton and Verstappen out. But in the end, the McLarens are too strong. Charles Leclerc had second after the safety car. But then Norris overtook him. And then so did Sergio Perez. And then so did Valtteri Bottas. Leclerc said it was one of his best drives. However, he did finish fourth. Carlos Sainz ran sixth in his first Italian Grand Prix in a Ferrari. That must have been an incredible experience, by the way. Given McLaren's success and the chase for the P3 and constructors, I, I think they saw it as a lost opportunity, however. Alpine, both Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon finished in the points. Good for them. Ocon getting a 10th place finish. Alonso finishing eighth. Uh, he thought that was the best that he was going to do. Many thought Alpine was not set up properly for Monza. So, and that's probably accurate. Ocon was up and down. He gained spots. He lost spots. He got a five second penalty. He tangled with Sebastian Vettel. So it was lucky for him to get a point there. Aston Martin, Lance Stroll finished seventh. And that's a good result. He didn't get any trouble, but they didn't really have any pace for a front end run. Sebastian Vettel finished 12th. It was not his day. He had tangled with Ocon. He also suffered some damage. I got involved in that first lap incident. Antonio Giovinazzi lost his front wing. 
AlphaTauri, McLaren finishing 1-2 was a great day for them, but AlphaTauri, two DNFs. Gasly had a good run during the sprint race, but then took on a new power unit. He also had a gearbox issue. He retired just after a few laps. Yuki Tsunoda, he didn't even get started. Brake issues were detected. He had to retire as well. So both of those cars, DNFs for the Italian Grand Prix. Alfa Romeo, once again, they ran without Kimi Raikkonen, who was out with COVID. Robert Kapitza finishing 14th. Antonio Giovinazzi finished 13th. He was also involved in an incident on that first lap that caused him to lose his front wing. And then he also had some floor damage. So that was really hard on his day. Williams, once again, George Russell got points. This is now becoming a thing. We thought we'd never see it, and now we're starting to expect it. It's kind of like the four-minute mile. Nobody thought it could be broken, and then once it's broken, everybody's running through it. Russell finished ninth. He benefited from the safety car and, of course, the crash up front that took out the two championship leaders. He pointed out that they finished ahead of Alpine, Aston Martin, and Alfa Romeo, so that was a good day for them. Nicholas Latifi ran 11th and was disappointed he wasn't up in the points. Said that was a very disappointing because there was an opportunity for him to do so. Haas. What can I say? Uh, Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher made contact again. Mazepin with the DNF, Schumacher finishing 15th. The fun never stops with this team. It never stops with Haas. All right, that is going to do it for our review of the Italian Grand Prix. We are going to take this weekend off. I was going to do a fast lap segment, but I've got some uh, broadcasting commitments. So I will be back with a preview of Sochi when we get to race week heading to Russia. All right, thank you all again for listening. Really appreciate it. Again, if you please subscribe, please leave us a five-star review if you like what we're doing. It really helps us grow the channel. We're seeing the numbers go up, and we really do appreciate it from those of you who listen all around the world. Contact us via Facebook at the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can also email the show, theovertakef1podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week for a preview of the Russian Grand Prix from Sochi, another Mercedes track. All right, I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 Podcast.